And while they are there, we have the privilege of welcoming someone from our own midst, someone who is no stranger to us all at this time. Val, over to you. Thank you. Is this fun? This is crazy, hey? I'm actually going to do this. So uh, if I haven't met you yet, my husband Dallas and I have been coming here for about four and a half years now, and Mike finally let me talk to you. <laughs> it's not you. I talked to you a little bit about a few things, but now he's, he's gone, so I get to say whatever I want. <laughs> it's okay. He said he won't put it online if it's too sketchy, so hopefully it's not sketchy. Um, so... Today, I am excited to go somewhere that I, f I know Mike's been taking us, and just in my journey, I've been on this grace walk, understanding our true identity in Christ, all of that that Mike teaches um, for, since, since I came here, but it's kind of crazy to look at in my life to see where I felt like God's been dropping hints forever. You know how he's like, he'll put things or people in your life, and then when you really come to the realization, you're like, oh, you've been trying to tell me that my whole life. And um, I want to talk today about why that is, where that came from, and really understand who we are, who we aren't, and what we do with all of the mixed up crap in the middle, okay? That's what uh, I want to look at today. So, um, Title is your true self and then your false self because false self needs to be really small because it's not real anyway. So, um, but it's something that we think is real or that we perceive as actual reality. So I want to talk about it. So it comes from this verse. I know all of us have heard it. Uh, Mike actually used it a few weeks ago and it really sparked me. You kind of have the way he talked about it, but it's one that if you've grown up in the church or you've grown up reading the Bible, you have heard and, um, and I feel like it's been reinterpreted for me. Now understanding what actual true identity is and who we actually are fully in Christ, I've re-understood it. So I want to look at it. We're going to go through m not all of Romans because I don't have that. I'm not David Younger in that. Remember how that took? I won't do that. So, but we're going to look back at how Paul got here from Romans and we're going to look at this at the end again. But this first, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, right? Mostly that part, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what I want to look at today. What does that actually mean? What does that look like? What has always been true? And what can we stand on? Okay? Are you ready? Yeah? You guys look so ready. Okay, so before we get started, I want to say a prayer because here's what happens. Um, I find it in me, and the more I've talked with people and the more I've worked in this, I find is as we talk about spiritual truth, your mind, your false self, your ego is going to start going crazy. It's going to be like, no, this is not right. No, you don't want to believe this. No, that's not what my Bible teacher said when I was five years old, right? It's going to start freaking out, So, which is okay. It's what it's going to do. And what, it's what it always does. But what my job today, what I feel super passionate about today, but all the time, is that my spirit, which is Christ's spirit, is going to talk to your spirit, which is Christ's spirit. And your ego might be freaking out. It might be saying all kinds of stuff as we talk. But I want you to hear from your spirit. So I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing, and I'm going to pray a prayer to call out our spirits, that what you hear today, you'll hear from here. And it will start to transform up here. Okay? 
So I'm just going to pray a blessing. You can close your eyes. You don't have to. Whatever. Okay, God, as we come into this, I just pray that our spirits would be awakened and that all of the noise and all of the chaos that's going to be coming out and going to be manifesting because of the truth that we're talking about, I pray discernment. I pray a wise discernment over all of our spirits that we would know what is true because you promise us that your sheep hear your voice and that spirit calls to spirit. So God, I pray that that is what we hear today, that anything that is true that comes from my spirit will be heard and received in everyone else's spirit. Amen. All right, ready? (laughs) You guys look really, really really excited. I'm excited. Okay, so um, here's one thing our that I want to ask, and this is something that I feel like I hear sometimes as we talk about concepts, is when we hear truths, when, when we're getting preached to at church or wherever we are, uh, is what, what is happening? Are we just changing our minds? Are we hearing a concept and being like, okay, that concept is different than the concept I thought, so I'm just going to change my mind on that idea. Is that what we're actually doing? I would argue that we're not, but it's what we think we should do, that we're just thinking we're changing our minds. And a good example would be um, at the last, I got to do an event here a few weeks ago, and it was really fun. We got to just kind of like speak the whole grace message as much as we wanted on a Friday night. And this man came up to me. I never met him. And he was like, okay, I feel like you're saying this and this, talking about my identity in Christ. And I was like, yes, okay. Like everything he was saying, I was like, he's he heard, right? He's regurgitating what he heard. And then he's like, okay, so if that is true, how do I get it from here to here? And it was such an aha moment to me. I was like, that's what we do. That's what we think we're supposed to do, right? That's what all of us have probably been doing for so long. We're trying to get these spiritual truths that we hear, we're trying to get them from here and then bring them to here. And at that moment, I looked at him because I hadn't thought this before, but I looked at him and I'm like, you don't. That's the whole point. That's not what you do. You don't get it from here to here. And it was like, it was an aha moment for me to be like, that's because we've been trying, we've always been ran by here. We've always been controlled by our thinking and our minds. And I, and at that moment I said to him, you don't do that. That's the point. You go from here into here. And you let this infect and renew. That's what that verse is saying. That's what we're going to look at today. That's what I'm hoping we'll expand and really grasp today is that we are supposed to be renewed. Our minds are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because of the truth that's already here. So I am not speaking to here today, okay? I'm speaking straight to here, asking it and willing it to start to infect up here. But the truth is we've been living here for a very long time. So we're going to look at why and we're going to look at um, what Paul lays out for us. So first truth is the thing that we're going to look at is your true self, who you actually are, what is fully 100% real and true is that God is instinctive in us. And this is a crazy thing. When I started to reread Romans with this understanding, I've read Romans tons. I went through Bible college. We went through a Mennonite Bible college. And we had an entire class on Romans. And I read it so typically. We were taught it so typically with the Romans road, right? And if I get a chance to preach again, we'll see how this one goes. But if I do get a chance to preach again, I really feel this new sermon coming out of me of a new Romans road. I can't do it all today because Romans is huge, but my mind was, or my... <laughs> Everything was just exploding with this understanding of, oh my goodness, Paul laid out a Romans road, but it's not the Romans road we've been taught in church for so long. But I'm not going to get to that because that's, that's a whole other one. But 
Paul actually does look at this entire thing. So he says right here, he starts off in, uh, actually even before, so okay, before I go get to this verse, he starts off Romans 1, 3. I didn't put it up here, but I was looking at it. He literally starts saying, I, Paul, an apostle, blah, 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 you know how he always introduces himself. Then he says, I preach the gospel of Jesus, who as on his earthly, in his earthly being, or he uses words like that, who Jesus as an earthly person was from the line of David and through the Holy Spirit was revealed to be the son of God. So right at the beginning of Romans, Paul lays out that even Jesus, when he came to earth, represented this true self and had an earthly self. And I know we know that. We know God came as man, but Jesus came as man, but he was also God. But this is super important to look at that he's showing that even Jesus represented what human, finite fleshliness is and what holy and spirit things, true self is. So true self, it says right here, um, I'm going to go through Romans. I don't, I don't care if you guys, I don't know if you guys care, but if I if the numbers just show up here, it's because I'm in the same chapter, but we're literally kind of working through Romans, okay? If you want to care, reference it ever. So in Romans 1, it says this, For God in heaven unveils his holy anger, breaking forth against every form of sin, both towards ungodliness that lives in the hearts and evil actions. For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. Because in reality, the truth of God is known instinctively for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. That when, I don't know if you read this, it would read this any differently now, but if I would have read that before, I would have just read it as, okay, people should know the existence of God. The existence of God or the knowledge of God should be aware of people. But then when I reread this now, Understanding what truth is. This is literally saying that the, that the truth of who God is in us is instinctive in every single one of us. And this is a point that I'm going to pull out a little bit more. I know it's something Mike preaches, but I feel like it's sometimes still not grasped because our ego so badly doesn't want to grasp it. But that God is instinctive inside every one of us. Because this knowing, this knowledge, sometimes our English language really fails us in giving us the right words. Because there's a no as in like, I know how to tie my shoes. I know one plus one, right? That's a word of no. Spanish and other language have different words for how you know something. And I think it's much more helpful. But in Greek, there's a different word for known that it is known like relationship. You know that person. You are connected with that person. It is a different kind of no. So this is not an awareness no. This is I know God. I am with God. Are you catching that right now? So this is, this is the foundation of truth that we're going to start on. This is what Paul starts the book of Romans with, is that the foundational knowing of God in relationship is instinct in every human being. Okay? We're going to start with that. But then it says for... Okay, so then what happened was even though they knew God, they didn't honor him or give thanks. And then in verse... Uh, 128, it says, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things that were not proper. So this is where the concept of the false self started. Okay, so we know the story. Mike's taught about it a lot in the Garden of Eden. It's a really important distinction, though. Um, some of you may have grasped it. Some of you maybe haven't yet, but this is what happened this is the story of the garden. This is the example, is that 
instinctively they knew God, right? They were with God every day in the garden, talking, hanging out, doing whatever they did. They don't get descriptive, but I imagine it was probably amazing. So then this serpent come because the knowledge of good and evil, the tree was the knowledge of good and evil, right? I'm, sometimes I get really excited, but I'll try not to get too tangent here because this, part, this alone we could preach on all day. But this was the knowledge of good and evil, right? This was not the tree of good and evil. This was the knowledge of good and evil. So this means that good and evil existed, correct? The idea of good and evil about right and wrong existed, but the knowledge of it didn't exist in them yet, correct? Okay, so they are perfectly whole, perfectly who they are, when good and evil exists, but they just don't have the knowledge of good and evil. We're good at that? Right. So then what happened was the temptation that the serpent said was, if you eat of this fruit, then you will be like God. Right? And we used to be taught that that the temptation was that they wanted to be like God, that they were selfish or they were prideful and they wanted to be like God, so they ate the fruit to know the knowledge of good and evil. But here's where the lie was, and we've, we've been told this before, right? I'm not the first one preaching this that the lie was you have to do anything to be like God, right? The, because they already were like God. They were fully in his image. They were, full, they were already this human being inspired with the infinite spirit of God inside of them. So the lie was that they had to do anything to be like God. Thus, they got the knowledge of good and evil. And that is where they got stuck in the knowledge, in the cons- being consumed with right and wrong. Everything became about right and wrong. It never was before. They were fully right in God's eyes already, correct? Then they got the knowledge of good and evil, which then consumed their mind. And I think this is a great way of him describing. It gave them, they were given over to a depraved mind. What happened to their spirits? Does it say anything about their spirits? No. What happened to their relationship with God? Right after they ate, what happened? What did God do? Do you guys remember? He shows up and he walks right up to them. And he's like, what's up, guys? What did you do? What happened to him in that relationship? Nothing. Okay, I know this is, this is a little bit off topic, but I just want to really make sure this point. Nothing happened to God. He didn't blow up because he was in the presence of evil. As some, we actually, did you ever see those like pictographs where they're like, Jesus, God can't be in the presence of evil. Like, what the, who, what? So, such a goofy story. But, so he literally <laughs> walks right back in the garden. He's like, hey guys, what are you doing? And they're like, oh my gosh, we're naked. I'm so embarrassed. And he's like, and he's like, who told you you're naked? Like, nothing is different with him, right? The reason why he kicked them out of the garden was for their own good. Not because he couldn't be in their presence, right? We're going we're gonna to rewrite the Bible, guys. Or I'm not. It already was. I'm not doing that. This is not all coming from me by the way, right? Okay, so that was a little bit of a tangent, but just making sure we know that. So this is where the mind became deprived, and we got stuck up here with good and evil, okay? And then we, became, we got stuck in this false self. And I know I titled the false self independent from God. Technically, I feel like I should have write the perception of independent from God, because we cannot be independent from God. Do you believe that? We cannot because Christ, all things are held in Christ. Christ is in all things and in in Christ, all things are held together. We cannot be separated from God, but we have this perception of independence from God. And this entire false reality of an independent self came into being that we thought we were separate from God. Remember God walked right back into the garden, 
all, I don't know if you remember that sermon of the chairs that Mike tried to do that Brad Jerzak did, that this story of instead of us being like, God, we're sinners, and he's like, I can't look at you, and we're like, forgive me, I can't look at you, right? Instead of that being the truth was, we were like, oh God, don't look at us, I'm a sinner. He's like, you guys are goofs, hey, I'm right here. And they're like, oh God, don't look at me, I'm a sinner. He's like, oh my gosh, when are you going to get it, right? That's actually how the story went. So, but we then became stuck in this idea of the false self. The false self, there's lots of words for it. Ego, small self. It's the reality that we are mostly consumed in since then because we think that it's all about right and wrong. And that's where sin is, comes from, but is also defined. And this is what I, like this verse was probably one of the biggest things that, uh, exploded for me that was so big. This is um, the, the Passion Translation, but it's so good because I think it much more better defines sin because what have we always thought of sin as? Bad or evil, right? What's on the tree? It's, it's not just the tree of the knowledge of bad, is it? It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So it's not just bad things that sin is. I think we need to redefine sin, re-understand sin in order to understand then what this Bible is talking about. Because if we view the whole, all of Romans and every time sin is mentioned as bad things we do, bad things we do, it's going to very much change our interpretation of what he's saying. But if we can now understand sin like this, it's going to much more help us better understand what Paul's actually saying. So in Romans 14, I know I'm skipping ahead, but this is what he says. Anything that we do that doesn't spring from faith is by definition sinful. Sin is literally living that independent perception of independent life apart from God, because we know whose faith it is. It's not our faith, right? We know that that's established, right? Mike establishes that every day. He says it every single time, right? It's not our faith. It's the faith of Jesus in us. It is literally the spirit of of Jesus that is our true self. So when we are not living from there, when we are stuck living out of this false self, thinking it's independent of God, all of that is considered sinful. Uh, This one hit me. I don't know if it's hitting you like it hit me, but this one hit me because I spent so much of my life thinking I had to do good. I had to do good. I had to do good. It was about me. It was about me. It was about me. That kind of life is still can be considered sinful. And I know this is sucks to hear because we don't want to think, well, I did good. I read my Bible. I went to church. I judged my neighbor really Christianly, right? We somehow justify our judging because we're Christians and we're supposed to like hate the sin, but not the sinner. But we really can't accept the sinner because they're still sinning and we don't want to be like made dirty by the sinners, right? Like, I, it, hopefully I'm not the only one that lived like that. But, but you know what that is? And I know Mike said this again. That's just going from the bad side of the tree and being like, I'm not living in that side of the tree. I'm going way over to this side of the good tree. And God's like, why are you in that dumb tree? I never even told you to eat from the tree, right? So let's redefine sin. From now on, this, this morning, when we talk about sin, sinful nature, this is the in, thinking you are independent from God thinking you are not connected to God, living in some kind of independent self. Okay? We're going to move on with that. Okay, so now, now we can look at what actually has happened and what the law was. So for the by, by, bleh, for by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. For it is the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin, the reality of independent self. This is huge, guys. This is a huge shift in understanding what the law was now, what the point of it was, because 
remember, he's talking to the Jews and some of the non-Jews in the time that their whole life has been wrapped around following the law. And he's saying, guys, we're looking at this really different. The entire point of the law had never had anything to do with making you right. It cannot. That's not why it was given. That's not what its purpose was. And it's not what it's even capable of because the entire point of the law was to just expose and unmask this sickness that we had been, we have always been living in thinking we're independent from God. It's literally like a mirror. So a mirror, so if you have a dirty face, let's say, <laughs> you know, Jen never has a dirty face. She has a cute face, but let's just pretend. And I hold up a mirror, right? to show her her dirty face, how is that mirror going to help her? I can't smack her with it. I can't, like, the mirror's not helping her clean her face at all, right? All it's doing is showing, oh, right? So how can we think that that mirror's purpose is to wash us when, that, when all it's literally doing is able to reveal it and show it? Does that make sense? Because they've been using the law this whole time, thinking it's what makes them right, because they're consumed with a mind that think right and wrong, right and wrong, right and wrong. As much as this brain wants to do good, it'll go to bad. As much as it then does bad, it wants to switch back to good. But it's never been its job, right? Never been its job. So this is still following in, in Romans 3. Does emphasizing our faith then invalidate the law? No. Instead, our faith establishes the role the law should rightfully have. And I really love this because, again, people are like, well, that means I don't have to do anything the law says and I can live free, right? That's what they're thinking. And he's saying, no, it doesn't mean that the law is pointless. It means we, when we fully understand what it actually was meant for, we can appreciate it. We can honor the fact that it reveals that independent self that thinks it's apart from God, that thinks it needs to do its own thing. That's the point of the law, okay? Still with me? Okay. Here, so this is just another, another way that he's describing it. The law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness, human independence, right, out of hiding. Humans thinking they're on their own. Humans thinking they have their, their one-man show, a one-man world, and that it's all about them. Okay. So when Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin this idea, this perception of separation entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed the sin, casting its shadow all over humanity because all have sinned. So, okay, here's, here's where he makes a really good shift and we got to stay with it. And this is where I, this is where I feel a lot of church teaching doesn't want to actually grasp how big of a shift and how true of a statement both statements are so i'll explain myself so then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men so here's what i want to make sure we hear because as much as we want to understand okay yes uh, maybe that's a false self it's so hard for our ego to let go of the fact that we are actually fully whole and this i think is one main point where our ego won't let us go it won't let us accept that it's so weird because it's it's like a catch-22 and I'll, I'll explain what i mean so most of us if we say adam sinned the sin entered the world and we all are affected most people can grasp that right have you ever like heard that and be like i don't agree I didn't get sin, or I don't feel separate. Did you ever feel that? No. Most people, did you feel that? 
Yeah, you felt that. Okay, good. But you did not feel that. Okay, so we can all agree that we accept the fact that that affects all of us. But then Paul so clearly says, just as one man did that, so did one man reveal the truth about who we are. And then we get stuck. We're like, but, but not everybody. But wait a minute. But, but not me. Like, what? how can one man's effect affect everyone? And then that, you have to go with the same logic, correct? But our brain doesn't want to. Honestly, our egos do not want us to follow that simple logic because it wants to be like either in or out. It wants to be like, well, I'm not good enough for that. Or that person, she drove me crazy. She's not good enough for that, right? But it's such a, he's literally laying it out one for one. He's saying, and he's like, he's saying not only that, it's even better because it's actually true. He's saying it's even better because what Adam did gave us a false idea of reality. What Jesus did was restore the true powerful life reality that actually is true for all of us. Does that make sense? You see how, so this is super important because I'm going to look at a verse in Romans that, that we're going to really shake up in a second and hopefully I don't get kicked out of the church for it. But this is a super important foundation to lay. This is why I can say what I'm about to say because he says, just as one man did that for all, so did one man restore truth for all, right? Okay, we're going to move with that. And hopefully not get kicked out of the church. Um, Yeah, okay. So this is just, this is again setting up my foundation so that I have somewhere to land. All of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, who were all immersed? Is it some of us that were immersed? I know it says all of us who were, which again, I think, I don't, I'm not like giving the Bible a hard time, but I feel like it's tricky language. I feel like they like make it to sound like you can make a theology of those of us who were immersed, but who were all immersed? Everybody, right? So don't try to trick us, right? We know what this means. All of us who were immersed, who were all of us, were immersed into, the, into union with his death. So here, I love this. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? That, that's really one of the crux of, of the talk today, guys, is that can it be any clear that what we thought was true, this idea of an independent self that's separated from God, cannot be any longer because Jesus literally showed us that he took all of this idea of independent self, took it to death and back, and said it was never true. Could that be any clear? Hopefully we can make it clear if it's not. So when we were, li- when we were merely living natural lives, the law, through defining sin, actually awakened sinful desires in us. So one thing, I don't know, do you guys listen to Paul Anderson Walsh? Any of you? He's just got a really cool English accent. Just listen for that. You don't even have to listen to what he says. His accent's just awesome. But it really is. But uh, so one thing he said on this, he was talking on law, and it was so good. He said, we used to think, or we wanted to think of the law as like a contraceptive to sin. And the law keeps us from sinning. And he's like, actually, the law is really an aphrodisiac for sin. And I was like, I just liked it because he uses sketchy words. And I always appreciate when other people are sketchy. But what I thought, it was a really good concept. Because truly, that's what Romans right here is saying. It literally, actually awakens sinful desires. That word awaken can be aroused. Sinful desires within us. The law was, God literally put the law in order to arouse that sinful nature in you. Is that crazy to think? Does that freak you out? Because when you, when you say that for the first time, you're like, what the, what? No. Okay, but honestly, he did. This is what it says. The law was put there because until, the Bible says in other parts, until the law came into being, the sinful 
uh, the sinful desires lay dormant. It doesn't mean they weren't there, but we didn't realize how sick we were. We weren't able to see with the mirror. So he literally brought the law up to be like, I will show you how incomplete this independent life is. I will show you how not natural, how not true this independent life is. And I will bring the law out to just show you how much that is. You can try, 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 try. Some of us are still trying our darndest to figure it out on our own. And he's like, try all you want. It's not going to work. That's what the law was there for. Does that make sense? The law does not save us. It does not heal us. It never was. It was meant to arouse the independent self. So it got so loud that we were like, shut up. That's not who I am. And honestly, our spirits will always start to say, I know I was talking today um, to a friend, and it's just amazing. Every time you can hear the spirit rise in people, you can witness it, you can uh, recognize it and be like that. It knows it's there. And it, when your sinful nature, your independent self gets loud enough, you start to be like, that's not me, right? What if God purposely chose to arouse that in order to make us know that's not us? Is that crazy? To me, it's kind of crazy, but kind of amazing because he's like, it, I know how much not you that is. So if we need to make it scream in order for us to know it's not you, then let's do that. Okay. We're where am I? Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. So this last verse, this is, or this is the last verse. This is still in seven. It says, and now I realize that it's no longer my, okay, here we go. He's explaining. It's no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. This is such an important realization. This is a shift because we all have to make this Some people call it a spiritual awakening or spiritual awareness, but at some point, all of us will come to this realization and this understanding, and this is what he's saying he, because he went from being a persecutor of those doing, of the law, right? And then the law came into his life, and he, and he was like understanding what the law actually was, and he went, he said he went through that, this, um, this is Romans 7, 15 through 20, you know, everybody's read that part where he's like, I do what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do, and I'm blah, 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 right? And it's like a back and forth, back and forth. He's saying that he realizes it's no longer my true self doing it, but this unwelcome intruder, this unwelcome idea of, of independent self in my humanity. He's explaining that he's realizing that that's what it is that's making him do these things that his spirit knows it doesn't want to do. And then he just, so I, okay, again, this is from the Passion Translation. It just explains it so well. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from who I really am. Okay, I hope this is sinking in and this is getting into your spirit because what he is saying here, again, is it is not who you are. And we have spent so much of our lives thinking we are defined defined by that, either defined by by what we're doing good or defined by the stuff we're doing that we don't want to do. But this is what he's saying. It is not who you are. It is literally this manifested false self that's stuck in the ego. And really, if we call it out for what it is, it's you, it's the brain doing what it was never meant to do, doing a job it was never meant to do. But you under, I hope you start to understand that it is not who you are. Does that make sense? It's not just, it's not a, a new, a new different self. It's not a, you're actually a piece of crap right now, but when you start to live from the spirit, then you will be actually a good person. That's not what it's saying. 
It's saying all that that's happening, that's not even who you are. That is a sickness that, in, that it exists up in the brain, and it's a reality that you are stuck in believing you're separated from God when it's never been true, and it never changed for God. Is that sinking in? This is a big shift, that we actually are not that person. Okay. So, and if we are not that person, then we are free to live, not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. That is literally what fuels us. When Adam was made, God took, he created finite, right? He created. And then from that finite, all that he created, he took his infinite breath of love, infinite eternal life, and breathed it into the finite human being. That is who you are. You are literally the infinite, eternal spirit of God existing within a finite creation that he made. And what is happening, if we can explain it maybe in different terms for our brains to catch, for us to understand, is that we are stuck living in that finite part. We think the end all and be all of us. I know I keep using Jen. I don't know why, because you're wearing yellow and it's pretty. But we're stuck living in the finite creation, unaware that we are fully breathed into with the infinite eternal power of Christ. And that is what we live from. That is what interprets. That is what hears. That is what sees. Does that make sense? That is literally the source of your breath right now, is the infinite eternal spirit of God. All right. So this is where he's starting to help us understand the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life in peace. So this just helps us in our awareness, in our existence, in our reality, to start to say, if what is happening right now is death and hurt and untrue, if that's where we're experiencing, we can just say, instead of being like, oh, I'm doing it again, I'm blah, 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 we can say, okay, that's the ego. That's a voice I have heard for too long, And now I'm just going to step back into what is true, into who I am. Even the ability to see it, because the ego doesn't want us to see it as different or as false, right? It wants us to think it's the end-all, be-all, because its whole job is control. But when we can actually understand, when we see it for what it is, we are literally existing from our spirit, right? Because our spirit can see that, can separate itself, and understand that it's different, does that make sense? So here's an interesting side note. I'm keeping track of time. What time am I supposed to be done? Nobody even warned me. 1135? <laughs> okay, let's try. Okay, so an interesting side note is that our brain, so God gave us a brain, right? It's not like this brain is just a disease that we shouldn't actually have. We have a brain for a reason. He created our finite bodies with a brain. Its job is to keep us alive. Its job is to contradict itself. Its job is to go back and forth and look at all the possibilities. So doesn't it make sense that when we think that our full reality is within our brain, it's going to be doing all those things all the time? Peace doesn't exist there because it can't, because its job is not to do that. So we've given it a job it wasn't meant to do. We've given it a job of defining us. We've given it a job of telling us who we are, what we're worth, and where we compare in life. That was never its job. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came with a brain. Jesus came to earth with a brain, but he fully submitted it to the spirit of God in him. Oh man, there's like five sermons I want to preach on that, but we can't, we got to keep going. Okay, you ready for the bomb? 
We're going to drop this bomb. It might not even be as big of a bomb as I think it is, but this is what I'm going to do. Here's a verse. This is how it shows up. Honestly, I don't remember which version it is, but here's a verse that we've read, we've been preached on, and it's a defining verse in the Romans road in what we've used to hear. So it says, when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, you are not of him. And you feel where that takes you? Here's what other versions say. Some of them are even, even more harsh. So this one in the NIV, the end says, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Ouch, right? It's getting a little harsh. The NASB says, if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, capital H. This is what these Bibles say, okay? And the King James Version, (coughs) pardon me, gets a little closer, but this is what it says. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I know that sentence doesn't actually make a lot of sense to us in English. But I know what this concept brings out, right? I know what the church can teach on this. It says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to God. And then we start to be like, oh, shoot, do I have the Spirit? Uh, should I say the prayer again? Uh, should I go kneel one more time? Because I've already done it 17 times, but I just hit my sister yesterday, so maybe I lost the Spirit, right? This is what this verse brings up. So when I looked at this verse, I get super nerdy with like the, um, the Greek like original text because I know that our language, one, can fail us sometimes in the right words, and I know that some Bibles have a theological agenda to them. I'm just going to go out and say it, okay? Hopefully nobody kicks me out for saying this. But they do. They really do. And it's not, I don't, I'm not saying it's like an evil agenda, but I'm just saying it's, if it's what you've always known, then of course you're going to interpret understanding what you've always known. But let's actually look. Because when I read this, I thought, Paul, you're literally contradicting yourself here, man. You just said, he just said that, Christ died for all, that all were buried in him. And then he says, but if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not of him. I'm like, what the, how does that make any sense, right? So here's what I did. I researched it a bit more because the King James Version actually uh, intrigued me when it says he is none of his. This term, he is none of his, this is a, a term, it's when you look it up in the, in the Greek and in a concordance, it's an unusual Aramaic term that's only used twice in the New Testament, the only t- other time that this term is used is in the s- story of the prodigal son, which is just, to me, one of the most amazing stories of our true identity in Christ. And in the prodigal s- story of the prodigal son, this is used when it said he was at, the, the, at his wit's end. He was out laying or sleeping with the pigs. And when he came, came when he, oh yeah, when he came into himself, he decided to go back to his dad. So um, the negative turn comes in in this part. But what it, what's saying is that he isn't of his, or he came to himself. It's saying when he self-realized. The himself at the end is not Christ. It is not talking. It's, a, it's an internal understanding of oneself concept, which I think is a huge step for the Bible interpreters to then make that be about Christ because it never was. So literally what that verse is actually saying, I don't think I repeated it, so we're going to go back. So what is this What is actually saying? If you are not joined to the Spirit because the ego doesn't think it is, you are not actually yourself. Does that make sense? 
This is literally saying that if you think you are not joined to, spirit, joined to the Spirit, you are not actually yourself because that cannot be true. Are we establishing that? It cannot be true that you are not connected to the Spirit. So if you think you are not connected to the Spirit, that is not you. You are not aware of yourself. Do you get that? It's a huge deal. That is a huge change. Is anybody as excited as I am? So into this. Because I'm like, he's literally saying that cannot be true of you. So if that is what you believe, then it is not true of you. Is that crazy? It's so crazy. Hopefully, hopefully I'm not getting in trouble with that. Okay. Oh, hey, look, I did have a whole nother slide. <laughs> That's so helpful. I didn't realize I had another slide about it. But there you go. Okay, so. Um, oh, I skipped one. Okay, so here's what God did. God bound everyone over to the disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. This is what it's saying. God let everybody got stuck up in this idea of false self, this independent self, this sinful nature, so that he might have mercy in them and all. And I don't think I repeated this first, but do you remember the very first verse that I shared was from the beginning of Romans, and it said, For God in heaven unveils his holy anger, other versions say wrath, breaking forth against every form of sin, not against every human being, not against every created one. It says that his wrath, his anger, is against every form of sin. So his wrath is against this false idea of reality. It is not against you. It never has been. It never will be. The only thing that his wrath comes up against is that idea of false self. Are you following me on that? You have never been the target of his wrath, ever. And if you feel like you are the target of his wrath, if you feel like the law is, is against you or is bringing you up, if you feel attacked, that's because he's attacking your false self. He's a, it's attacking the idea that you are separated from God. I want that attacked. I don't know about you, but I say have at her. And it's not fun though, right? As that false self starts to get attacked, it will freak out, which is what I warned us about this morning, right? It will freak out because it so badly wants to be independent. It so badly wants to have control over our life. So this is where the concept of being transformed by the renewing of your mind starts to free us to live in the way we're supposed to and not have that battle of the ego constantly trying to be in control anymore. So this is where God's mercy, this is where grace is so powerful for us. Not grace because we were apart from God and we now get to be with him. No, grace is the realization that we always have been, but he's going to help us transition from this really stuck false self that wants to be in control into the life controlled by the spirit that has always been our source. And this is where his mercy, he has mercy on us all. And now, oh, well, I didn't know I put that in there. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. So this is going, this is back into ver, uh, Romans 1. So I'm going to come back. This is the verse we talked about at the beginning. We're just going to relook at it to understand now where Romans 12 is so powerful. So looking back, it says, even though they knew God, they dishonored them, and they had foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. And as they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them over to a deprived mind. Okay. This is where God is restoring our minds because our, our brains are helpful still, right? 
But living from the Spirit is now a restorative, transforming life of freedom. Living from who you truly already are. So, with all of that in mind and the mercy that he gave us because we are all, we're stuck in that depraved mind. Now we can read, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is not because it's what we're supposed to do. It's not because it's right and wrong. It's not because the law says to. It says in the full reality of who you already are and because of the mercies of God that God had on every single one, now you can offer this physical finite part of you as a living sacrifice powered through the spirit, not because of your mind, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. So, Living in this life with your brain, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to renew our mind. Why? Because it was depraved in the beginning. Do you see this? Our mind is being renewed. You are not being renewed. Our mind is being renewed from a place of already wholeness that you have always had. Do you, do you get the distinction I'm trying to make here? Your mind has been deprived, thus your mind needs to be renewed, but it is because you are fully inhabitants of the full spirit of God that is your true identity. So when we are renewing our minds, that process of renewing our mind, it can be painful, it can be amazing, but it is your spirit that is watching that mind be renewed. It is the pure, whole, righteous spirit of God that is your spirit that is looking back at all the things you did, all the things you're doing, reinterpreting it, re-understanding it in a place of wholeness and grace and completion, and then renewing the mind to then come into submission of the spirit. You get it? Because that, that, con- that battle of I do what I don't want to do and I don't want to do what I want to do, that is because our mind has thought it's independent and it is not submitted to our spirit. Our spirit is God's spirit, right? We are that spirit. It's not, I know I'm, I'm really pushing this, but I feel like some of us still are, are stuck in thinking, but it's me and it's God. And I'm this hot mess over here battling between good and evil and there's God. Still not what it is, right? It is We literally are the spirit of God that is in us and it is transforming a false self that we have thought was us. It's a a different us. It's a new way of even knowing who we are and how we live. Okay, so now we're renewing our mind. I just want to make sure I'm, I'm with, maybe I'll just follow this. Okay, so, oh look, I'm pretty much on time here. So, In conclusion, here's what we are going to make sure we walk out of here being very sure of. Our true self is union with the life of Christ. It is inseparable. It's like a sunbeam. If the sun is light and there is a sunbeam coming off of it, that beam of light is not independent from the sun, correct? It has no other source than the sun. It cannot be defined as anything but the sun. It is an extension of the sun. That is who we are. That is union with Christ. That is our spirit. It is instinctive in us. It is not, it does not enter when we do the right thing. It does not leave if we do the wrong thing. It is instinctive in us and it is who we are. It is holy and blameless and it is infinite and eternal. That is our true self. The false self that we have thought we were defined by is this idea of independence from God. It is foolishness 
in the eyes of God because it really doesn't make sense. It's literally like a sunbeam saying, oh, I'm going to do my own thing. And you're like, what the? You, no, you can't do your own thing. You're told, like, that doesn't even make sense. It's foolish. It's aroused by the law, which is a good thing, right? We appreciate it. We appreciate it's aroused by the law because that brings awareness of it fully more into our awareness so that we cannot live from there. And it is finite. It does not last. It will not it will not continue for eternity because it is a false self, right? It's all from here. This will not continue. The spirit is, is eternal and infinite. Are we all good with that? Yeah, ready to move on from there? Okay, so I just want to finish then with this verse in 2 Corinthians. And I encourage you, some people may not be Bible scholars or wanting to read it, but oh my goodness, guys, when we, I don't know if you're, on the same journey, because some of you have been hearing this message way longer than I have, but if you start to reread the Bible in a different understanding, you may have to look up different translations, because like we said, it sometimes has an agenda, but you will start to see verses so differently, or they might be a little bit more alive, or a little bit more incredible with this true understanding, believing that these authors actually believe the same thing we do. So, rereading in 2 Corinthians 4, that entire chapter Amazing. Reread that whole chapter with this in mind. But I just wanted to leave you with this because it's so good. So to, in, in blessing and in final, it says, So no wonder we don't give up. For even though our outer person, our false self, gradually wears out, our inner being is being renewed every single day. So I bless you today. I encourage you to go out with that awareness, in that awareness. And when that false self rears its head, just look at it for what it is. Don't judge it. You don't need to judge it. It's already been judged. It's already been dealt with. It's already been done away. Just look at it, recognize it, and welcome your spirit to speak truth into it. Okay? Thank you. Thank you, Val. I think you have challenged us all some food for thought, a new way to look, a new way to read, a new way to think. Got me thinking. 